Hi everyone, and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. My name's Amelia, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Anime Feminist, and I'm joined today by Peter Frobian and Wright Kaiser. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves. I'm Peter Frobian, I'm an Associate Speakers Editor at Crunchyroll, and a uh, Contributor and Editor at Anime Feminist. Hey, I'm uh, Vry Kaiser, I'm a Contributor and Editor at Anime Feminist, uh, and I do other things on the internet. You can find me on Twitter, at Writer Vry. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I thought you were going to promote your website. Oh, yes. I Well, I also have, a, I, I mean, my website is vrykaiser.com. If you put thing in, if you put my name into Google, you will find all the things, what I do. And Vry's writing is great, so do look it up. Aw. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not allowed to disagree with that. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about Neo Yokio, which came out yesterday. <sighs> And I feel like I've spent all day watching because I started pretty much as soon as I woke up and was live tweeting. So every few seconds I stopped and I made a tweet and then I'd go back and start watching again. And it took a very, very long time. And so I have spent all day immersed in this world and it's had effects. And we are going to discuss hopefully the show from a more feminist perspective than perhaps some other commenters have and maybe challenge some of the things that are getting a lot of positive discussion and maybe examine some of the stuff that's getting negative discussion hopefully end up with something really useful and interesting for you so to start off with just general impressions peter what did you think when you finished watching uh would you have recommended it to somebody no well i know there's a couple people who really just kind of like revel in certain types of bad media or memes who I feel that it's very catered toward, uh, who I might recommend it to just based on their personal taste, but I don't really, I I kind of feel bad because I don't know if I came into this, I, I might have been disinclined to like it before I even started, um, but I my experience with it was just, I didn't really take anything positive out of watching Neo Yokio at all. Oh wow, nothing at all? Nothing. Wow, Okay. Right? Did you feel as strongly? I'm four hours closer to death after watching this. <laughs> <laughs> like it was two hours long, though. <laughs> I know nothing. Nothing positive. Okay. Um, well, this this should be the kind of thing that's my jam, but for many reasons we are going to get into. I'm sure it failed. It failed to be trash. <laughs> and again, I like trash. It failed to be trash. That is a damning statement to make. It is not trash. It is only garbage. It has not reached the level. Wow. Okay. Lament the fact that it was not. I I will concede that Big Toblerone is a good and funny meme. It's very. They forced it pretty hard, but I'm enjoying the Twitter memes about it. I feel like I've been manipulated there because I have spent all day craving a Toblerone, and I don't. I don't like it when the man messes with me like that. Yeah, those product placements. I don't think they made any money off of any of those either, but they were like throwing like eight or nine out per episode. <laughs> they make no money from it. I assumed there was some kind of sponsorship yet, in place. Nothing. And yet in this show about a main character who is obsessed with fashion and we're never allowed to get away from this, he doesn't recognize a Louis Vuitton bag. I yeah. could oh, yeah. recognize. I, I was like, oh, of course it it's a Louis Vuitton bag. And then he's like, oh, who made that? Like, do you not see? That's like <laughs> the Louis Vuitton bag print. They also had that comment about Toblerone being luxury chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I'm assuming it's not in the US either. I think the references were just like part of like the kind of uh, atmosphere of consumerism that they were trying to push. I, yeah. I Maybe they did make a lot of money off of like, like 800 product placements, but I kind of don't feel like they did. Let's dive into this because that's something that I actually quite enjoyed. And I'm I'm stunned, by the way, that I may actually turn out to be the most positive person here about Neo Yokia. I thought I was pretty damning about it, but <laughs> mm-hmm. wow, no, nothing compared to you guys. Okay, so I'll be the I'll be the voice of positivity here. I really enjoyed the cultural mishmash. I really enjoyed that they took this kind of New York high society and they had lots of kind of dropped in Japanese references and they had um, like a lot of uh, like multicultural references. They had a lot of racial diversity, which I'll talk a bit more about later. I really enjoyed that. And I really appreciated moments of that that felt kind of more similar 
to experiences I had at university, for example, which was a very multicultural environment and it was full of people who had cultural references from all over the place and they did become a bit of a mishmash and it felt really fun spending time in that world. However, I think we do need to talk about cultural appreciation versus cultural appropriation and talk about where Neo-Yokio may have fallen on this line. So I know, Peter, you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, specifically in reference to... The, the one that I just didn't get was just all the Japanese stuff. Um, I kind of feel like this might have just been a like method of marketing the show to anime fans. Uh, and I, it's my opinion that I... I think that they just got Japanese studios and a director involved so that they could say a Japanese studio and director was involved, not because they... There were a couple scenes that were obviously, I feel like, the the work that they did was like a couple of the action scenes where he's fighting a demon or something, and it actually has like a camera pan or something that looks like character <laughs> animation or Advanced. something like that. Yeah. The rest of the time, it just looked like, you know, any Adult Swim Flash-based animation that we're all used to. And then they just just placed like Japanese stuff inside the show over and over again in a way that wasn't really significant or uh, important to the story, but just kind of like, is like, I don't know, kind of, I don't want to use the word signaling. I hate that word, but kind of indicating that they were like in on the memes or something like that. Like uh, that one guy's wife brings him a snack or something and it's Onigiri for some reason. Uh, They talk about how his Helena went totally hikikomori. um, No, no, she self-describes as a hiki, she's hikikomori. Now. Okay, I'm hikikomori now. Yeah, like, like Jesus like as a, Christ, Ezra Koenig. Yeah, as, and I think that one was probably the worst one because it would kind of was like, it's. She made it sound like a lifestyle rather than a huge cultural problem, mm-hmm. uh, and I felt like it was just completely blind to the actual. Uh, and, and I mean, it kind of sounds like maybe somebody who just watched a bunch of anime like Welcome to the NHK and thought it was kind of just a thing in Japan which I was not a fan of. And just like, you know, the Japanese faces and stuff, like when he had the, the Caprizi martini or whatever, it just, I like, I didn't know why it was there except to just go like, hey, yeah, we also watch anime. Right. Neo Yokio would like you to know that it has seen a thing. <laughs> it's, it it yeah. would like you to know that it too saw Akira. It may have seen Eden of the East. I don't want to say that it saw Tiger and Bunny because then I have to be even more angry and offended at it. Yeah. Oh, and all the episode titles were in the Evangelion font. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've definitely seen Sailor Moon. A lot of Sailor Moon imagery in and there. The, they oh, they yeah. straight up steal the first episode of Sailor Moon with the jewelry store shit. Uh, the skull. Yeah, yeah, the skull, and which you know, which is deeply reminiscent of the possession jewelry from the first episode of Sailor Moon with Nara's mother and all that stuff. Oh right, I haven't seen Sailor Moon for an extremely long time. Yeah, it's a shame. I really liked Sailor Pellegrino because I felt like she was the only one who actually had any sort of appreciation for, like, the heart, like working and the benefits of working. Yeah, but then she's um, a literal demon. Yeah, and then it turns out she was a demon. I was like, okay, well, like, I, I mean, that... I don't know. What was her line? I thought it was, like, maybe one of the only important things that anybody said in the, in the show. Uh... It was something about I don't know, just the importance of hard work. Right, there's no I mean, shame in work in, in, in That's working. it. That's yeah. no shame in making money from work or something yeah. like that. And then he's like, I can't I can't really go to the dance with you and she's like, Okay, well so long as I get in, it's a really important like networking thing right. for me. And I was like, Okay. She well, doesn't wow. even say that. She's just like, As long as I'm on your arm and I'm your plus one and I get in, that's fine. Yeah. And he's like, I can see how you sold a billion records. You're amazing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when he said, I don't I don't like her work, but I have an admiration for someone who's successful in business or something like that. Oh, I just like, I mean, yeah, sure. It's, it's great. Like, it's like his admiration just comes from the fact that she has become rich, I guess. Neo Yokio would like you to know that it doesn't matter whether you're old money or new money, as long as you have money and a lot of it. There was that moment in the last episode, I think, where Jaden's character, Kaz. I keep forgetting his character because I called him Jaden throughout my entire because life. Because he's Animu Jaden. He's Animu Jaden. So when he drives through the wrong part of town, he takes the wrong road and the fork, and he ends up with a lot of impoverished people like saying, get out of here, and jumping on his car and beating it. And you realize kind of how much of a bubble these characters have been in. And how much we as viewers have been kept in that bubble. So they kind of make a nod to the class situation, but they don't actually oh. explore it 
And I think that that's something that really runs through Neo Yokio, where in the same way, looking at the Japanese imagery, but they don't actually show us any any Japanese Americans. Oh no, there's there's Matoko Goldberg, who is the hottest lesbian on Long Island. And she shows up for one scene, I think, to <laughs> she so she shows up for one scene to be hot, and then we don't see her again. So the fact that she's Japanese is kind of neither here nor there, really. Um, and we get two mentions of Japanese names. There is, I think, Hideki Matsoni and Michael Fujikawa on the Bachelor board. They are numbers five and six. They're not too high. Let's be let's be clear about this. And my big disappointment was that. Kathy's boyfriend, we hear that he's a racing driver from Japone. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, they're going to get a Japanese guy to be the love interest of this investment banker who's in San Francisco, who is clearly like the desired love interest of Jaden. And she seems pretty great when we've met her and her boyfriend's going to be this Japanese guy and he's a successful athlete and he's uh, like five-time winner or something. And he's Italian. So Japone is just a joint country between Italy and Japan for some reason. It's never explained, it's never explored, but it is used to kind of erase Japanese-ness while at the same time paying lip service to Japanese-ness. And I think that's something that they're quite guilty of in this anime in a number of circumstances. Yeah, that, uh, hearing you describe... Uh, well, you mentioned in one of your tweets, actually, that I, a thing that I thought was really interesting, that um, I think it's Lexi uh, and, and his use of language uh, that is was initially interesting to you, but then fades away because everybody speaks the same and seems to be basically of the same social strata regardless of, of yeah, race so he or shows up he shows up and he's like that looks like a dope ass whatever that's a dope ass watch dog and it's it's like okay is there a purpose to this because presumably i'm guessing that black people who exist in this high society have to code switch drastically and they have to erase any signs of what would be perceived as being ghetto black and i'm doing air quotes and they have to make sure to erase slang like that in order to fit in. And that's not really acknowledged here. So he has this, this use of language that I don't think fits in with what we've been led to believe of his background. Now, he has a similarly flippant approach to work as Jaden does. He has He's clearly been brought up in a privileged way. Like he starts opening a bar at one point and then shuts it really quickly because he's bored and he wants to go on holiday, right? So he, this is not somebody who's from a standard background. He is from a rich background. He is not used to working. He is not connected to the real world as he would want his language to imply, but that is never explored at all. So it feels like they've just airlifted in generic black guy friend, and they've not actually adapted that for the circumstances that a black kid in that situation would probably face. Whereas on the other hand, you have Jaden, who is in many ways a really well-rounded character. I don't want to praise him too much because I don't particularly like his character, but he's you know he's got this whole kind of gothic thing. He's he's quite got this existentialist dread. At the same time, he's extremely entitled and spoiled. He hates working. He hates working on himself. That's reflected in the way he uses language. It's so pretentious half the time, and then so lazy and almost childish the other half, where he just kind of shouts out profanity because that's the only thing he can think of to express strength of feeling like uh, he's he's sorry go ahead no I, I mean i think he's uh and i wouldn't know this if my partner weren't a big fan of the show but i think he's a deliberate jeeves and wooster reference because his, oh, his name so is he, he has an aunt and aunt agatha and you know jeeves and wooster is about a rich idle idiot fop who just wants but who just wants to be left alone and is constantly flouting society. But the difference is that uh, Bertie actually does just want to do his own thing. Whereas Kaz is like hugely obsessed with his social standing. And also Jeeves and Wooster had uh, Jeeves to call him out on what a stupid, shitty, privileged rich boy he was. <laughs> and all of the people who work for Jaden are either very, excuse me, Kaz, Animu Jaden are either like, <laughs> happy or at least contentedly resigned to working for this shitbag? Mm -hmm. He only refers to people by their job title. Sales clerk is oh that dude's goodness. name! Yeah. Sales clerk. It's in the subtitles! Fast. We turned on the subtitles! It's sales clerk! One word! Yeah, and we we, in, uh, we meet his uh, relative uh, who, I, I don't know what that, like his extended family in the, the, the Ranma episode. 
Uh, and I, I, he seemed to have like some disdain, especially for his cousin who used water magic. Uh, but I remember like his cousin, well, his cousin turned out to kind of be a bad guy, I guess, because of the whole like taking his dad's house thing. But he, he basically a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, when they're in their first interaction, Jaden was putting him down since he wasn't a demon hunter or something like that, and he could use water magic. And he said, "Hey, I like doing this. Uh, I like living on the sticks. And I don't need to live up to your standards." Was basically the, the summary of the conversation. And then he was just kind of made out to be an idiot and a villain in turn. So it's like it, every time you get somebody who has any sort of work ethic, they turn out to be the villain. I think work ethic's a strong word to apply to to that character who specifically wanted to effectively get his father out of the way so that he could just live in this big fancy house without having to pay for it. At least in the context of that conversation, he was basically saying, I like being a pool boy, and uh, if I like that, that's none of your business. Yeah, yeah. But then it turned out it was all a smokescreen because he was still in his dad's house. (laughs) He's a difficult character. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, it's, you want to say something? It's just every time, the I think the show thinks that it's covered its own ass because there are characters who call uh, Kaz out, but then all of those characters turn out to be, you know, wrong in some way. They are a literal demon, or a self-serving asshole who's actually the villain, or they're a, a complete and utter straw man who's in love with him. Actually, though, yeah, I felt like it spent a lot of time really taking like uh, like Helena. She had her so like. Uh, I guess, realization that their culture was really bad. Uh, but then I think the show spent a lot of time showing that she was also really dumb in various ways. I, I can't tell if she is Winona Ryder in Reality Bites or if she is a cis-swapped <laughs> Christian Slater and Heathers, but they're both bad. Yeah, it's like she's just like the classic Hollywood woke person is what, what she became rather than like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like uh, somebody who actually realized that there's an issue and is trying to correct it. Because like, she's like, I-, I don't like this, but I'm just going to lock myself in my room instead. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, there's the, the plot later on, but th- they tear her down th- first. There's even a comment yeah. of you're still just a rich girl that, that Kaz makes, but then they do nothing with that. They're like, well, we mentioned it, so we that's can just sad. keep going on and doing it now, with, and that's fine, and I fuck. Yeah, and that that is something that actually I really liked about Helena as a character. I didn't you know, I, I like the fact that she she was just kind of like kind of like this anime actually she's kind of paying lip service to stuff without actually doing anything about it so she becomes hikikomori she doesn't actually go out and try to do anything yeah <laughs> and then her eventual answer is is quite violent she destroys the bachelor board but then she doesn't do anything with that she doesn't use it to rally people into a movement or actually achieve anything at grassroots level so it's a very idle rich way to be uh, a rebel Woke. Woke. Yeah. And it's yeah, and I, I I really appreciated showing a character like that in the same way as I appreciated them showing a character like Jaden being awful on screen, or a character like Lexi being awful on screen in the Rambo episode. And I I like that they showed the awfulness. What I don't like is the character seemed to suffer no consequences for it. It was not explored. It led to no self reflection at yeah. all. I think what it was trying to do was make one of those shows where like everybody is bad. Uh, which can be good. I mean, like you, uh, always sunny yeah. in Philadelphia is the classic example. Yeah. Yeah, like you, you hate all the characters, but uh, like if in the context of the world that they're in, they're like not good people. Or yeah. like if it's in like I don't know some some literature's done it where it's like it's trying to say something about modern culture or something like that. But I feel like the 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 show never took any effort to actually make any sort of consistent message. Or they didn't do anything with the fact that these people sucked. So, but it didn't it, choose not to do anything. If they'd taken a no-hugging, no-learning approach and just said, this is it, this is how awful people are, they would be just as awful in a sci-fi version of New York as they are currently in New York or anywhere else. That would be fine, but that's not what they did. They were actively presenting themselves as being more progressive, and I take slight issue with that. Yeah, it's... This is, it's just too stupid because I, I think to tell shows about terrible people, you have to be a better writer than than this show has. I'm not going to I'm not going to dive into our critique of the writers or anything on that score, but I would like to talk about episode four, so I'm sure it'll come up naturally. Um, 
Episode four. Vry, do you want to kick off on this? Because I'm sure you have a lot of things that you want to address in this Well, one. Um, I, I was I was poking around because I also wrote an article about this series, uh, specifically uh, focusing on the, the transphobia element. Uh, spoilers. Uh, and Ezra Koenig mentioned that Ranma One Half was one of his favorite anime, and that was why there's a big, long homage to it. And uh, guess what, my dude? There's a reason that people don't do <laughs> Ranma homages and parodies anymore yeah Yeah. and and i say that as somebody for whom like as a teenager ronma was definitely something i read a lot as kind of a wish fulfillment pansy uh fantasy because ronma is an ungrateful sack of shit who doesn't realize what a great gift he has absolutely and i i mean i love ronma i didn't have the same connection to it that you did obviously but i really enjoyed it as a problematic fave and as soon as it showed up and I realized why people have been saying to me, because all day I've been getting people tweeting saying, you just wait till you get to episode four. I really want to know what you think after episode four. And I was like, oh no, what happens in episode four? And then as soon as that happened, I was like, this is why this is not going to be good. It is so hard to do Rama in a respectful way because Rama in itself is not a respectful story in many ways. No, it, it's a it's a series Rumiko Takahashi has shitty gender essentialism kind of all over her work, and Radma was not immune to it. And let's talk about Lexi, because I, Lexi was the biggest frustration for me, almost, because he stands there and he does this lecture about gender is a spectrum, not a binary, and you're a misogynist, and... Then, and I, and I don't like how you're talking to me and I don't like how you're treating me and I don't think you treat women very well. And he does not at any point apply that, that observation to his own behavior where he, in a woman's body, but not at all identifying as a woman, basically manipulates the lesbian Matako Goldberg into kissing him because it's under false pretenses. He is a man and he knows full well that in his own form, she would have no interest in him. But he's like, and this is his exact phrase, I want to smash the hottest lesbian on Long Island. Let me make lemons out, lemonade out of lemons. And it's horrendous. And he doesn't actually join those dots. So he comes across getting all these cookies for being such a woke guy, for giving that speech and throwing Jade in the pool as he deserved but then does nothing with it about his own behavior. Yeah, that was like, awful. He knows all the right words and how they apply to him, but he doesn't yes. care how he uses it. He doesn't actually understand the concepts, just like what he's supposed to say is what I got out of that. And he doesn't even care when, when Jaden, like when he turns back into, into a male body, Jaden is instantly like, I'm really sorry, I didn't treat you right. And that's the end of it. Well, I, th- I think it's important to hammer home that that episode is offensive on a more metatextual level than that, uh, because yep. the idea that trans women are just men who are doing all of this to get at lesbians is turf rhetoric. Oh my goodness, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, as well as the idea that this is a sh- uh, it spends the entire episode thinking, patting itself on the back because it's an episode about how Jaden... Animu Jaden does not treat women very well, and it's going to learn us a thing about misogyny and consent and respecting your partner. But also, it's going to be an episode that doesn't examine the fact at all that Animu Jaden uh, tells Lexi not to talk because his masculine-sounding voice will give away his very good and on-point female presentation. And also, he's secretly just a dude looking to bang the lesbian. And also, I hate this so much. And then it has the fucking unmitigated gall to pat itself on the head and say, but gender's a spectrum. Fuck you. You have no idea the uh, the complexity and depth of the issue you've stepped into and the amount of mealy-mouthed, insidious ideology that is used to discriminate and dehumanize trans people. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck this episode. I just want to, like, give you a round of applause for that. I'm incapable with just two hands, <laughs> but seriously... All of the above. I mean, I I wrote this in my in my live tweet, but you know, I've been with with guys before who put conditions on public interactions. You know, don't talk to me when I'm over here or whatever, and that you know that happens to cis women. Okay, I I'm just a wild guess. I'm imagining it happens more to trans women or to non-binary people a hell of a lot more. And if it's painful enough for me, 
as a cis woman to have those conditions put on my existence in public with somebody that I'm supposed to have a connection to. I can only imagine how painful it must be when you are not cisgender. And that, that they touched on that without realizing the significance of what they touched on is I think an example of, probably it's an example of lack of diversity behind the scenes. Now, I don't know, of course, I don't know the gender identities of the people involved in this, but it does feel like woke people talking about something that they don't actually identify with. Yeah, if you're gonna write that episode, why don't you like, like ask somebody who those sort of themes apply to? Like, just, like, literally just say, like, hey, did I just write something really offensive? Could you let me know, please? And we don't know for sure that they didn't. And I don't want to kind of put too much burden on, you know, if one person gives permission, then it's all okay. Like, clearly, they just they just screwed up with this one. And even if there was a transgender person who kind of gave the script a look over and said, yep, fine by me, that doesn't mean that it's okay. That doesn't mean that they kind of did their due diligence. It it does feel like this, this storyline came from somebody who didn't have a personal stake in it. Um... But again, maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to speculate too much on and that. It would still be bad if this were a. I think if it had just what like if this had, show had just idiotically said I want to do a Ranma homage and it had no commentary on top of it, it would still be bad. But the fact that it's so self satisfied and going to teach you a thing makes it so much worse. A thing specifically about le- uh, about rhetoric and ideology as applied to cis women while ignoring trans women altogether. Like, I hate it. I hate it. Because <laughs> it was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to touch on anything more in that episode? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that general idea of you thought you were saying a thing, but you're incredibly stupid and patronizing uh, applies to other issues that I have with the show. And, and like, and the deeper issue of I can't enjoy this as fun, stupidly written camp garbage because it thinks it's it thinks it's people. So what another example you would give would be uh, the the general because like so we've, we've kind of mentioned on and off that the thrust of this episode is dumb, rich idiot uh, meets equally dumb, supposedly woke uh, freshman who just read the communist manifesto and then she blows up a billboard uh, in Holy shit. Holy shit, Ezra Koenig. You grew up in New York. You grew up in New Let's York. Let's talk about this. So explain who Ezra Koenig uh, is and his Ezra Koenig is the lead singer of Vampire Weekend. And he uh, wrote, he, he, he created a, the series and wrote, I believe, most of the scripts. Um, Peter, you had a little more information on his background growing up in New York to the point that I think this is a little bit autobiographical certainly it seems like his circle of friends was tapped for secondary characters which by the way includes at the very best an eye-rolling gay stereotype who everybody is kind of icky on oh but it's because he's a cult not because he's not because they're all homophobic anyway (laughs) (laughs) who are you thinking of that Uh, the the professor during the episode where Animu Jaden lectures young women on who is or isn't a good role model for them Mr. Muley yes Uh, that was that was a little bit painful because he I think the first thing he does is he tells Miss Kaz that, uh, that like girl your trousers are too tight or whatever and then says come to my apartment and we'll get high and have a fashion show and it's like he's he's his former teacher right this is hugely inappropriate behavior oh. and of course it comes from the most overtly gay character in the entire show that wasn't even like what bothered me more is that later in the episode kaz goes to uh because you know uh, kaz is investigating this guy because he might be a demon sympathizer because sometimes this yes. show remembers that it has a plot but only when it's convenient and and then later <laughs> uh Kaz tells his friends about it and and Lexi is like man that guy always just kind of creeped me out with the clear implication that it's because he's gay though it because he's gay it was not a good character at all and not a good use of that character at all I actually spent ages thinking that Lexi and Gottlieb were a couple that would have been better I was a little disappointed when Lexi talked about wanting to to go to the Hamptons to meet a woman, not to become a woman. God. Uh, but th- that was the moment where I was like, oh, you're straight, or at least bi. Like, oh, okay. That's... Also, the, 
I, th- I thought you were a couple, but never mind. The, the fact that Kaz refers to people in the Hamptons as Hicks, by the way. Who the fuck is this show for? People are dying because they can't afford healthcare. What is this show? I... Okay, so my only understanding of the Hamptons comes from Gossip Girl, which I have watched extensively. It is a guilty pleasure. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot about the Hamptons, but certainly it is not a word I would have associated with Hick ever under any circumstances so i watched that and i was like oh really i had no idea is it a really really rural area i didn't have a clue yeah i feel like it's it's supposed to be like a condemnation of like the super wealthy in new york but it's written from the perspective of someone who's only moderately wealthy in new york so yeah they they're like oh i live in i think the hamptons is like uh i don't know too much about new york i think it's like upper uh (laughs) upper scale like residential area so like it's and they they you know the super wealthy who all have like apartments next to uh central park uh probably think that they're hicks or something and he ezra resents that maybe i don't know but uh it, it just i don't know it's like whenever it like talks about how um out of touch they are it it does it from like a perspective that's only like two one or two rungs down from that so yes. it, it seems equally just like it, the the show itself has no perspective, and by portraying characters that just like have a slightly less amount of perspective on what life is like for people who you know can't just buy a car when they feel like it. Well, and also if if yeah. it's doing a you know a, if it's supposed to be a parody of the super wealthy, it's having a hard time doing it while its mouth is full of all of the fashion labels that it's filleting. One thing that I could say about it in a positive sense. Um, I really enjoyed just being in a world that has that much racial diversity on screen. We don't get that a lot. Um, I think it's the first time I've ever seen the specific racial dynamics of my family replicated on screen. When Jaden went to, to tea with his aunt and she was white, I was like, I have never seen this. I have white aunts, I am not white myself. And that, it's just something you don't see. So it's, like, we don't know if Jaden is mixed race or adopted, actually. Um, we can assume mixed race because the, the demon thing seems to be hereditary. Um, but pff, they don't put enough time into the world building for us to really understand how that works. However, Jaden's, the entirety of his family who we meet is then white, which was a little bit uncomfortable. I, there's not a single black relative you want to introduce us to? To this black kid? Okay. Not yeah. one. It, it is kind of disappointing that they invent an entire backstory about an oppressed class of people and then have nothing to say about actual racism. Well, I think the parallel for this mm-hmm. is Yuri on Ice, um, where it, which has come under, you know, decent critique for where people have said, you know, it's set in Russia and you have this couple, or part of it is set in Russia, sorry, um, and you, you have this couple who are behaving in the way a queer couple would behave in public and... They're not stopped at all, even though being gay is illegal there. And it's clearly built to be a world where homophobia is just not an issue. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, and, and I, I think that's great. I just think that with Neo-Yokio, it, it, and I maybe I am wrong, but it struck me as a little different because it, it has that aspirational element like Yuri on Ice does. But then it also wanted to have a thing so that the shitty blonde Draco Malfoy could use an, an imaginary slur against Kaz early on when we're establishing that he's an asshole when was what did um, he say you know he spends a lot of time calling him a rat catcher and how all of the exorcists are neo riche because oh, of the the magic use yeah, yeah it's it's a weird invented prejudice prejudice that the show wants to use for character things but then it also wants to be aspirational and it that's great but why is it trying to be both I mean, I guess, but there's there's power just to seeing lots of brown people yeah, on screen, and, yeah quite I honestly and I shouldn't yeah, I I really appreciated that aspect of it. So I, yeah, and it wasn't handled perfectly. Like I said, the fact that we don't meet any of his his brown relatives is a bit of a problem. The fact that we don't, like, none of his friends are black women. He's he's surrounded by white women. That's a bit odd. I think the one black woman who we see is. Um, on the stage at the burlesque performance that Arcangelo takes them to, um, which I quite enjoyed, by the way. It felt like a bit of a nod to Chuck Bass from Gossip Girl, who ends up taking people to these like alternative nightlife venues um, because he likes to he likes to be the guy who can take you somewhere you've never been before, and that's just that's just another way for him to kind of 
use his status or come across as impressive. And that definitely fit kind of the Archangelo view. Whereas it felt like Jaden's character would be more interested in going to places where he could be seen to be going. Um, but yeah, that the burlesque performance is the only place where we, we see a black woman. Uh, and she, I think anyway, and she calls out Jaden as, uh, sorry, Kaz, as being a magistocrat. Magistocrat? Magistocrat? And she she kind of gets everyone to look at him because she says, you know, it's, it's a really rare and special thing that we have a demon chaser in the house. But you don't get any sense until then of how rare and special it is because you are just in that bubble where he always is. And so you really, it, there's this kind of alienation almost between those those kids and the perspective they want you to have as viewers where you understand that he's special you understand his family background but they don't actually spend any time kind of looking at that at all so just another example i guess of them touching on something and they're not really exploring it yeah it's it seems to the show i the writing seems to assume that with the per, the supposedly satirical or parodic elements that you will just understand that obviously you as a regular person under uh you know know that these things are ridiculous but this is a fantasy alternate new york we don't know what normal looks like here we have no baseline for what it is he looks like compared to the underclasses and the oppressed yeah it was it would be i can't, i wish i could go back now and look at the the scene where he goes down the wrong road in his race car and see if those people are mostly people of color because when he goes to the Hamptons, most of the people there are white when he goes to the Hamptons party. Well, you mean uh, where he went into... It's Kowloon Walled City is what it is. Uh, but uh, that, the, the race was supposed to go through there. Do you just mean uh, where he went down... He, he got dead-ended there, but they, they were specifically the, oh, they racing... Oh, they were supposed to go down? And he gets... Yeah, they were specifically racing in that city. Bats. Yeah, but they were specifically racing within... It, it's... Uh, Kowloon Walled City. I don't know why they decided to reference that, but uh, they they specifically drove through it because they didn't care about the well-being of the poor people in that city. Yes. Yeah, and they make that very explicit in a line where they say Neo Yokio doesn't care about the, the the denizens of its slums or something. Yeah, thank you, Neo Yokio. They, yeah, yeah. Thanks for making that clear. I <laughs> mean, we could not have picked up on that otherwise. But there's yeah, the classism in it is. It is odd. It's like you say, it's part of the world building without actually being a thing. Kaz owns a human being. Kaz does own a human oh, being. Oh, that was so Kaz... weird. Yeah. Charles. And then when he finds out that that his mecha butler is actually a human being, he's like, I wish you could just get back in there to stop talking. I don't want to see you. And then as soon as Sadie, who has her own identity, gets back in Charlie, he just forgets she existed. And that's it. He continues to refer to, to Charlie as Charlie, which is fine. Charlie? Charles. Wow, I got really informal. Uh, so he continues to call him Charles um, and doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to affect him at all. Now he knows there's a human in there. He quite happily live in blissful ignorance, which, is, you know, is at least consistent with his character. Is he paying her all the wages he didn't pay her after, after he bought this mecha robot at a used robot sale? we have no idea and now she's come out and she seems to be quite comfortable continuing to come out now that she's broken that seal she doesn't seem to but... resent him in any way other than occasionally giving him good old-fashioned grandmotherly guff yeah it's it's a very odd beat and i didn't really understand it because the point of her coming out then which is this is the end of episode four so the point of her coming out then would be to tell him you treat everyone badly you treat the people around you that you see as less than badly. It is not just your friends being unreasonable. You are not in the right here. And she she kind of briefly says something and then moves on. She, <laughs> so, well, she specifically like talks about how he was inconsiderate and now the robot will be hard to fix because they will have to drag it a across town. And now we have to drag this hunk of junk back to town. Exactly. It's not you realize that you're being a terrible person. It's not that. It's, ugh, this, we're inconvenienced now, which is something that Jaden already understands because he's constantly complaining about being inconvenienced. He had to walk yeah, a whole extra, like, six blocks to get to his house. And it's fr and it's framed like a walk of sadness. <laughs> but see, I quite like that stuff. When they, when they lean into the fact that he is 
Deluded. such a spoiled brat. Yeah, like when they when they have, I think it's in the first episode, and I, I kind of love this moment when his aunt is like, finish your tiramisu. And you have this close-up of the tiramisu and really dramatic music and it tilts up to his face looking all forlorn and he just says, I've lost my appetite. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, great, do more of that. And they, they had this running joke in the second episode, which was my favorite, by the way. I think the second episode is where it peaks. I would just stop watching after that. Um, where they talk about his midnight blue, <laughs> blue suit and how he's, he's like, fashion is a light in this cruel world or something. And those words kind of come back to haunt him. And it, it, there's, there's moments like that where they kind of lean into him being a spoiled brat and say, yeah, he's spoiled, let's laugh at that. Which I think goes back to what you were saying, Peter, about how there, there is some fun in just having awful people on screen being awful to each other. Yeah. As long as you don't act like anyone's going to get anything more out of it than that. Or it, you're actually, it's got to be one or the other. It's either got to be, it's either got to be, it's always sunny in Philadelphia or, or I don't know, the great Gatsby. You got to be doing, you got to be trying to accomplish something <laughs> or not trying to accomplish anything, I think. Yes, I feel exactly. like it, it just felt like this really half-assed attempt at commentary, which just made it bad in both ways that it could be bad because they, they made a, a, like a dishonest attempt at doing that. I mean, I, I, I got the humor that they were going for every time Jaden was, like, making it... Uh, I could, we're just going to call him Jaden forever. Uh, every time... <laughs> he deserves it. Yeah, like, something not really, like, we would be happy for something like that to happen to us, but he acts like it's such a trial. That That's... Yeah, it's funny because he's, like... I don't know. Because he's... I guess just because he's such a shitbag. I would argue that, uh, speaking... As somebody who really loves Always Sunny, A, these are people who live in the gutter and who always lose... Uh, but they love, and also they love each other, and it's kind of sweet occasionally. Like, Always Sunny is very cunningly written to make sure that these characters yes. look the fool. And it, in a way it that... Is so smart. It, it, and and Jaden, not only is Jaden the idle rich and so, so stupid, he wins every time, other than that these mild yeah. inconveniences. Like, he's never made to look absurd in any way beyond that brief, re- ironic remove of, oh, don't we know that this guy's actually a fucking asshole? Yeah, the yeah. always sunny guys never win ever, and that I think that's that's very intentional. Yeah, of course, that's why it's acceptable. Like otherwise, it would feel deeply unfair, and it does feel deeply unfair. Um, and it it really reminded me of Gossip Girl in that way, and I think that's absolutely intentional. Like I'm assuming that somebody on the staff had actually seen it. Yeah, like um, th- this show wants to I think this show wants to be something like that but it fails to understand the structure of how those shows work and what makes them appealing well you can see the pivot that's happening right uh, because like it, it basically the series just ends obviously with the intention to make more episodes God uh, I'll maybe, burn down maybe the realizing yeah possibly realizing the city is not so great right and uh, despite all the missteps with with I don't like know what they were trying to do with Helena really, but it turns out destroying the Bachelor board was like a good idea because after that I think Ar- Archangelo actually became my favorite character of the series after the Bachelor board was destroyed. <laughs> he didn't have like this very like competitive masculine because I mean the whole thing was just like like mate competition right. It was like the whole thing kind of maybe that was part of the series I actually didn't hate so much. Uh, was like I don't know it was like this like I don't know this beacon of toxic masculinity. And, and I could totally understand why Helena wanted it gone. Um, but after that, like, Archangelo didn't feel this, this like, very apparent, always in the back of his mind sense of competitiveness uh, for getting, like, girlfriends with uh, um, Kaz. And he's then, he just decided, he's like, hey, why, why aren't we friends? Uh, and then after that, he kind of becomes a cool guy who leads them around town and stuff like that. I mean, he's really dumb still, but it, it's like, God, I don't know how I felt about that. I I felt like Archangelo actually became kind of a decent character, better than Kaz at that point. Actually, yeah, I I like the blonde shitbag. Yeah, yeah, I liked him a lot. It helped that his his voice actor was Jason Schwartzman, and I think nobody does shitbag better than Jason Schwartzman. He is so smug, he is so smarmy, and it comes across really well. But he's also a comic actor, so as soon as Archangelo was required to soften a bit and be funnier, that was that was done. That was easy. Whereas Jaden. I think it's Smith, Jaden Smith. I don't know what name he goes by, but he he doesn't have that skill. 
And the moments when he was funny, I think, were entirely unintentional. <laughs> so yes, we're, they had, like, an all-star cast of, of uh, like, they, they had, like, Steve Buscemi and uh, Susan Sarandon and stuff like that. And then they have Jaden Smith, who is, like, famously flat and lacking any kind of affect as the main character, which I didn't understand. That's literally the joke about Jaden Smith. So the problem I have potentially with, with Jaden Smith's casting is that he is one of the few very famous black boys and he is one of the few very famous black boys who is known for pushing gender boundaries and there is a cynical part of me that wonders was he brought on to give them a bit of a pass in this area like well we didn't screw up episode four look we had jaden smith on board come on no actually casting jaden is completely in at least my experience of jaden's public persona is completely completely in line with how they did episode four because he too is very interested in patting himself on the back about how he understands these gender things as they apply uh, to him a cis a, a, a predominantly cis dude and i i don't care mm. um, it Jaden, to me in my experience of him is in that line of smugly stating gender's a binary not a spectrum after i did all this other shit in this horrible episode spectrum not there a binary. we go yeah yeah. So he'll he'll say this stuff, but not actually back it up. In doesn't his seem to grasp what it's. At. You're just saying words. You're saying words, and words mean things. That's yeah. That's good to know then. <laughs> so these people who potentially kind of hired him in part because he has this reputation. Actually, the reputation is pretty unjustified. At least like that's and that's the only you know I can't. He's. I I try not to be too hard on on Jaden Smith through all this because. I think he's kind of I, I think he's kind of a performative asshole whose career was bought every step of the way, but he's also nineteen and if I had that much money and rich parents, I would have bought myself a career too. I do blame Ezra Koenig. I blame him for this. All of this. This is it. I don't wanna be I don't wanna be terribly harsh on Jaden, but I do wanna question whether there were reasons for hiring mm-hmm. him that had nothing to do with his ability to voice. No, act no, animation. that's yeah, and not to step on you <laughs> and say you're wrong. <laughs> so well, I mean if you look at if you look at living like circumstances it's like a one for one between Jane and Kaz so Yeah. <laughs> Lauren made I think Lauren made a comment online about how his his lines all sounded like they've been workshopped so they could be Jaden Smith's tweets. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which at moments like absolutely it felt that way. He's got a really distinct style uh in his Twitter and the script did feel like that at moments. But that that Again, I I don't think that Kaz Khan was a bad character. I think that Kaz Khan is actually in many ways a very interesting, well-rounded character. But the character doesn't face any consequences and the character doesn't really learn anything. So it's sort of a waste of what is one, a really rare example of quite such a fleshed out black main character, I think. So that's that's a bit of a shame. It's a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could have taken a you would have needed a much stronger framework for a character like Kaz to work and not come across as, as completely frustrating. But I see what you mean. Like, in a better story, yeah, I could find that kind of character interesting. Like, or this character specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a lot you can do with the idea of uh, young black men in a privileged world. But that, again, doesn't seem to be something that they're interested in because they they wanted to create a world that was already racially diverse, which is kind of great in its own right. But again, it was it was a very specific type of racial diversity. So it was awesome to see so many brown people on screen. How many of those brown people were South Asian? Not so sure. How many of them were East Asian? Not so sure. Uh, How many were South American? No idea. So there's it, it was very black versus white and well not versus it was black and white and you know look at us you know living the martin luther king dream but that's not necessarily diversity that again it it feels like kind of tick boxing so but i i did enjoy living in a world that was like had a lot of brown people in it for a while because you know i watch anime and i just don't see that a lot and it does, it, it is meaningful. You do experience that impact when it affects you. And I appreciated that. So that was, that was a world that I enjoyed hanging out in for a while. And I did enjoy also hanging out in that kind of 
privileged society for a while for the same reasons as I watched Gossip Girl. Although I actually stopped watching Gossip Girl when I started myself considering buying designer things. I was like, no, this is, <laughs> this is not how I want my mind to be warped by television. So I think it can be a fun thing to have in small doses. Yeah, I... I... I don't know. I kind of can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe there is something he's trying to say that'll be kind of like revealed later on. Because there was some definite <laughs> like, I don't know, like the the whole Walt City thing where it, it, it like you never saw like what it was like to not be rich. Uh, like uh, all the people, like the the pretty much the lowest like rungs of society that you ever encounter in the show are people in like customer service positions who are like well dressed and and very accommodating but you don't really see what those people's lives are like when they get home and then like just at the end you get this glimpse of like uh like the walled city um and like uh, i guess uh kaz uh kind of has his like oh maybe things aren't so great and I don't know if that this is like the pivoting point where he's supposed to like it's like the bottom falls out and maybe I might be giving Ezra way too much credit, but uh, he uh, he might realize that it sucks, yeah, right, and then he might decide like oh wait Helena was right maybe we should do something that'll change this really bad dynamic we have, um, but I it might I I can see that it might be God forbid if it gets another season I concede that it might be trying to say something but the thing is that I don't care at this point like it's spent all of my goodwill like the big climax of the series is blowing up the bachelor board which is supposed to be this big re- move of you know revolution towards a freer society by again a freshman who read the communist manifesto and but and, and the thrust of this is that we're meant to be along with Animu Jaden thinking Maybe what she did was justified after all, man. It really makes you think. Except that this bachelor board has nothing to do with the actual plight of yes. the under, of, of the oppressed minority. It applies only to the most wealthy of the wealthy. It, we only care because it's the thing around which Kaz structures his social life. Who gives a fuck about everybody else who's not incredibly rich and on this board specifically? And, and to do this, to do this incredibly shallow, empty gesture of woke, meaningless uh, rioting towards supposed social justice, they, uh, as the episode uses some really potent imagery. Like, it, it blew up a building in a crowded New York cityscape. And I'm not saying you can't do something with that, but you better damn well be prepared to say something deep and meaningful that you thought out with it. See, I didn't pick up on the 9-11 imagery first time round. And it, it took it took our tweets to for me to kind of get that. And also in episode six, it makes it really explicit when it says something like this it that was a symbol of the subjugated working class of the of greed. Bull fucking shit and it is. It doesn't apply to that. It Sorry, really, please go on. It yeah, no, it really isn't. And it's you could I guess you could make the argument that just the existence of a sign of this this upper class echelon is is enough like it doesn't matter that it's structured around romantic relationships like just having that front and center in times square like that's that's enough in the same way as i guess the existence of the aristocracy in the uk i mean just the fact that they exist and there are magazines obsessed with them like that that in itself is something that you could see worthy of destruction however for me the bachelor board was far more about how misogynistic this society is and about the heteronormativity of this society. And so I assumed that whoever blew it up had more kind of feminist reasons for doing so. And obviously that's my lens coming into play. But the idea of it being about class did not even occur to me. So I think I think that was a bit of a miss. I think they could have picked something else. They could have made that board into something else, except that it's relevant for, for the rest of the story. This is the only point where they just use it because it's convenient. They could have had her go after Wall Street, for God's sake. And that would have been... And- that would have been meaningful or they could have had I don't think this series is smart enough to be building up to saying these are children playing with very important issues they don't understand and hurting people I think it really thinks it's saying something about people becoming woke and fighting the man man and I really resent that which is a shame because actually I think their message of privileged kids 
get these ideas in their head and then don't do anything properly with them is far more powerful to kind of emphasize the the strength of grassroots action that they're not taking. I think that's far more interesting. Um, but that's that doesn't seem to be where they're going because Helena got that criticism in, what, episode three? And then it goes nowhere. <laughs> so... Yeah, but at the same time, I want to really acknowledge Peter's point because I think if this is an origin story, then that actually reframes it to something that I would be interested to see more of. I mean, it would have to continue down the same path, right? Uh, like, I, it, it, I don't know. I, like, it, it's either uh, she, like, blew up. I, I don't know. I, like, the only allegory I could think of was, like, you know, she ruins Marie Antoinette's haircut or something. Uh, and then <laughs> everybody's talking about, like, what a revolutionary they are. But, you know, like, the people of France still can't eat bread. Um, so it's, like, these this aristocrats thinking that they're, like, making some sort of meaningful social difference when actually they've done absolutely nothing and people are still starving, which is basically what's what's actually happening. So if they, uh, if they showed any indication that they were aware of that, like, I don't know if Helena's fans or even, like, the main characters were talking about, like, what, what, like, a crazy, you know, difference she made for everybody in the city or something like that went, like, juxtaposed against something that makes it obvious that, like, absolutely nothing has actually changed. That could be meaningful. Or if it's just, like, step one of many steps that eventually lead Jaden to, like, actually see that there's, like, this supporting class of people who aren't getting the, the things that they need to live happily, who allow him to, like, give a shit about, like, what year a certain perfume was made. Oh, my goodness. That whole scene at the grave infuriated me. He was so rude. And then, it, again, it didn't do anything. You kind of got the sense that the old man was getting more and more irritated with this strange kid, telling him that his wife's favourite perfume wasn't good enough and wasn't going to make her happy. And then they did nothing, and he just gets away with it. And then we meet up with the old man later when they kick him out of the bar, and he still doesn't get annoyed. Well, the, the whole the whole point of that scene was the the perfume was an allegory for, like, Babylon 5 versus Star Trek, I think. That, that Literally everything he said, he was talking about science fiction. It wasn't about perfume. But the, way, but the situation they put him in to have that sort of, like, allegorical joke uh, was just all... He was just him berating an old man at his wife's grave. So, Seriously, that's all. Yeah, that was that was the joke. He was talking about science fiction, not perfume. Oh my goodness! Ha ha ha! <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> you not changed your mind on it, right? <laughs> I'm even closer to death and still talking about this show. <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. Do either of you got anything more you want to address before we close this down? I like your ideas, Peter, but I don't think the show is going to do any of the good ideas what you had. Yeah, I guess that this is like my my best case scenario. This is what they're going with, but like yeah, even if they do it, I don't have any confidence that it would be well executed based on the first season. So, I it's just a like I like I said at the beginning, I what I finished the series. And I just, I don't feel anything good about it, really. Well, I like to be optimistic. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> I can appreciate one that. way. In, I can respect that. <laughs> one way in which this differs from most of the anime we talk about is that the, the staff behind it are English speakers. So uh, <laughs> actually one of the executive producers followed me on Twitter while I was live tweeting this, which was a little bit unnerving, <laughs> but I don't think I changed my, my response as a result. Um, so I, th I think that they are paying attention to the response that this gets and there is a chance that they will take some of this on board and that they will actually really consider some of the criticisms that it gets, hopefully particularly around issues like race and gender identity and sexuality and that they, they actually kind of put their money where their mouth is as progressive men, presumably, who want to do right by these communities. So... Let's let's end on that positive note of hope. <laughs> Our crossed fingers. <laughs> <And> <laughs> crossed fingers all around. And hopefully, if it does get a second season, we will see some acknowledgement of those issues and we will see some improvement in those areas. However, I did enjoy watching Neo Yokio. I do intend to watch it with my housemates. I think they'll enjoy it. Um, and it, on that level, it is an anime that I can share with people who don't normally watch anime because it doesn't have a lot of the the fan service type stuff or like so many anime in jokes that would that can sometimes make anime completely impenetrable to people outside the community 
So that's a, that's also a good thing, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's, let's wrap this up. You can find us on www.animefeminist.com. You can find us on Twitter at Anime Feminist. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash animefem. And you can find us on Tumblr, animefeminist.tumblr.com. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash animefeminist, where we're over $1,000 in income, but we do need more to be fully self-sustaining. So if you can spare a dollar a month, I promise you that adds up so far, that's so quickly. Um, and if you give $5 a month, then you get access to our anifem only discord invite only discord where you can discuss things like neo yokio extensively with other like-minded fans without having to go over the same feminist 101 discussions it's great you should definitely give us five dollars a month <laughs> but if you can only stretch to one dollar a month that would be so meaningful to us so if you can do that please go to patreon.com slash anime feminist and send us what you can so we can continue our work so thank you so much to peter and fry for joining me today and uh, we look forward to catching up with you next time Neo Yokio has a season out. I-, I look forward to being on a podcast where I get to be positive about a show again. <laughs>